So what's the first word that when you were a baby you remember saying? Gaga. <laughs> Some of you are all like, ah, dude, there's no way I can remember that. I understand. I can hardly remember last week, so I get it. Um, so probably your, your mom or your dad said to you that it, you said mama or you said daddy. Or maybe sometimes your parents even get into an argument about which one you said because they wanted you to say their name first. But I can almost tell you that that's usually the first words that come out of a baby's mouth, mama or daddy. But with almost 75% accuracy, and according to a study by Stanford, you know what the second word is? Hey, nice job. No. No. And you know what's interesting is when, uh, when a little kid says it, it's sort of cute. Oh, you're precious. You said no. They start growing up, it gets a lot less cute. You know what I'm saying? Uh, my, my, uh, my, my in-laws family, they, they, will, they use a word that, that they use to describe when you're being ugly. Uh, that's the word they use. You're being ugly. And what happens is as we get older, when we say no, it gets ugly. Um, except that we try to fancy our no up with, with uh, a, a little bit of attitude and, uh, and, and we try to, to make it a little, a little less uh, hit as far as saying no, so we throw in a little attitude with it. And, uh, and it, it just doesn't, I don't, I don't know about you, but I know for me, when, when I said no to my parents, uh, it, it did not end well. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Anybody else in here identify with the, me? All right. A few of y'all can. Um, and you can ask my mom. She comes here. So, uh, you know, it did not end well when I said no. And, and, and so I couldn't help but think as, as I was thinking about that this week, here, here's a question that, that, that I think is so important for us to ask is, have you ever said no to God? Have you ever said no to God? Have you ever said no to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life? And, and, and if you're honest with yourself, at least I'm, I'm going to be honest with myself and be, be transparent, um, it almost happens daily that I say no to God and to the prompting of his spirit, to my shame, to my chagrin, to my, and it doesn't work out well when I do. And, and, and that's not God's desire. God's desire is that we would not say no. Our God's desire is that we would learn to say yes. Why? Why? Because if we truly believe that he's God, if we truly believe that he's in control, if we truly believe that, that he sees the beginning and the end and has the bigger picture in mind, then, then, then it's about trusting him. It's about saying, okay, God, I trust you enough to say yes, even though I don't know how this is going to turn out, even though I don't know what direction you're going to take me, I'm going to say yes, because the, the alternative is no, and it doesn't end well with no. 
And, and, and yet, I, I, what I love about the Word of God is that it's full of individuals, and it doesn't sugarcoat it for us. It doesn't, it doesn't make it glamorous. It doesn't, it doesn't make it like, like, this is how you should live your life. We have example after example after example after example of individuals who said no to God. Who said no, God. And yet God in his sovereignty, God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his love comes alongside of them and helps them to understand that the answer they needed to give was yes. And many, many examples of individuals who said no, but then later would say yes, and God would use them in a supernatural way that was beyond what they could ever even begin to think or even imagine. So you, you may be thinking, yes, I've said no, but can I just say to you, you're not alone. You're not alone, and the Bible is full of examples of it. So if you would, turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6, a guy that a lot of people know about, Gideon is the main character of of these chapters that we're going to look at. But Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1, we find the people of Israel, God's people, God's chosen people, these people that he has done so much for, that he he has led out of Egypt, that he has led across the Red Sea, that he has done so much for, he's supplied their needs, he's done so much for them, and yet, notice verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They were saying no to God. God, no. I will not follow you. God, no. I will not worship you. God, no. I will not put away false gods, false idols. I will not do, no, God. And as a result, what's happening is the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian. The people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in mountains and caves and strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour all the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels. I love that. Their camels could not be even counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. No, they were brought very low because they said no to God. Let's just be clear. Yes, it was Midian that God used, but it was their no that brought on Midian. <laughs> and so, so as this is being written, understand that. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods, notice lowercase g, gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. 
You have said no to my Holy Spirit. You have said no to me. You have said no to what I have wanted for you. But again, God in his mercy and his grace and his power is so awesome. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, that's a tree, at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abbey's right, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Police. You ever ever done that with God? Police, God, oh my word, whatever. No. Gideon is, is God is, is meeting with Gideon, telling him these things, and, and he says to him, please, Lord, this is really you, then why is all this mess going on? If this is really you, then wh- why is all of this happening? What's the problem? I mean, basically what we're seeing here is Gideon giving God a no with attitude. Like a teenager. Ooh, yeah, I said that. Like an adult. Adults just get more a little more sophisticated with their attitude. Gideon, no. Please, Lord, no. He's saying no to the Lord, and he's giving the Lord attitude. Why is he doing that? Ask yourself, why is he doing this? And, and here's, here's what I believe about what, what we're seeing here and, seeing, and going to see unfolded in, the, in, this, in these verses is that what's happening is, is that Gideon's view of God is, is off. Gideon's view and understanding of who God is is not fully correct. It's off. He's thinking, wait, the only way that you're God and I'm listening to you is if you would do these things like you did once before. And and there's no, you're not God because we wouldn't be in this mess if you were. And his his view of, of God is off. And what we find out later is that even his view of of himself because what does God say about him you are a mighty man of valor look at verse 15 he said to him please Lord how can I save Israel behold my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's household so not only is his view of God off but because his view of Who God is and what God can do, his view of who he is is off. His view, his identity of who he is 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 off. It's not correct. 
And my friend, I need you to understand something. When we say no to God, what happens is our view of God gets skewed. Our view of God gets muffled. Our view of God gets, gets we get blinders on. And what ends up happening is, is that not only impacts our view of God, it impacts our view of ourselves. I mean, why do you think when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? As you love yourself. Why? Because your view of who you are is connected to your view of God. And if your view of God is off, your view of yourself is going to be off. Y'all listen to what I'm saying. When you say no, that is what happens. And Gideon is an example of that, of an individual who has been saying no because his people are saying no. And he's wanting God to do something that, that, that is, is what he used to do or what he had done before. And, and I wouldn't be in this mess if you were God. No, I'm not willing to look at myself and go, I'm the problem. You're the problem, God. Please, Lord. And, and his view of himself is off. You know what's interesting is, is, is that we're living in a culture and, and, and we're living in a day and time. And sadly what's happened is it's affected the church in the West so much so that we don't even seem to need the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We don't, we don't even seem to need the Holy Spirit. We, we don't even expect the Holy Spirit to, to act. Given all that we have in this country, we are fairly capable of living successfully without any strength from the Holy Spirit. Even church growth can happen apart from the Holy Spirit. That is not God's plan. That is not God's will that is not God's desire. And the thing is, is what we're ending up doing is we're missing out on what God wants to give to us because we're saying no, God. Because we keep saying no, because we keep saying no, it's skewed our view of God and it has skewed our view of ourselves. Question, what if God is wanting to do something supernatural in you and through you. What, what if he's wanting to do that in your life and through your life? Because listen, what we've been given, 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. Not of fear. Not of, of trembling. Not of being beside ourselves. Not being scared of. Not being jumpy about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit of God that lives in you. Not fear, power, love, and self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says something very interesting. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? I think it's the nail on the head right there. Do you not know? Do you not understand what is inside of you? Do, do you not understand 
that, that the Holy Spirit of God is taking residence up in your soul, and your soul is his temple. His soul is where he, is where he resides in your life. If you're a child of God, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've accepted that free gift that he offers to you of forgiveness of your sin and life eternal, then the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence in your soul, and he lives within you a spirit of power, of love, and self-control, not fear. Problem is, is that we don't know. Problem is that we keep saying no to God, and so our view of God has been skewed, our understanding of God has been skewed, and that has then messed up our identity. And we think that our identity is in our relationships with other people. We think that our identity is, is, is in our job. We think that our identity is in our materialism. We think that our identity is in my needs getting met and my desires getting met. And it's all about me. As my uncle used to say to me all the time, wrongo, wrongo, moose breath. I have no idea what that means, but that's what he would say to me. And it always was annoying. So if I just annoyed you, sorry. Maybe you needed to hear that. Here's the thing. You and I have not, those things are, are not going to be the things that God is going to use to, 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 to define who we are. They're not. He is. And so, so, so is our, even our view, just think about this. Ask yourself, that: what if my view of the Holy Spirit is wrong? What, what if my view uh, of how the Holy Spirit works is off? What, what if, I, if my view of how the Holy Spirit does things and, and prompts me and, and all these other things is off? Because I, I know I grew up in, in a church where the Holy Spirit was never talked about. It actually, it, it, was, it was almost as if it was a, a, uh, a taboo to talk about the Holy Spirit. Like, stay away from the Holy Spirit. That, yes, he's a part of the Trinity. Yes, he's the Godhead. Yes, he's this. But, man, eh, we're not going to talk about him. And, and maybe you grew up on the, the other side of the track, so to speak, and, and, and all you did was talk about the Holy Spirit, and and my friend, all I'm asking you to do is, is to evaluate your life and go, is my view, is it possible that my view of the Holy Spirit is off? And am I open to the possibility that I may not have the Holy Spirit of God all figured out? I, I'm just asking you, is it possible? <laughs> can, can we just be honest? If you think you've got God all figured out, Bro, bro, you are messed up. I'm just saying, you got, you, you sandwich a shy of a picnic. Something's, you, you not have God all figured out. Why, why do I know that? Because the word of God talks about that, that his, his understanding is un, unsearchable, it's unfathomable. He, there, there's things about him that we'll never understand, never get, never be able to put our minds around. We even try to, 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 to use illustrations like the egg and, and, and this and that and other stuff to, to try to 
to teach on the Trinity, and it's so not even close to what the Trinity is. And, and, and we, we do all these things to try to wrap our minds around an unwrappable God. And, and, and what's crazy is, is that we so often will take God, especially the Holy Spirit, and put him in a box and be like, you stay there in the box. Don't come out of the box, you stay in the box. Oh, no, 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 don't lift that lid. And we treat him like he needs to be in a box, like we can somehow contain God in a box. And we act like we got it all figured out. We do not have it all figured out. Can we just be honest with ourselves? There's not even just a possibility. There's no way you do. You do not have God all figured out. You do not have the Holy Spirit of God all figured out. And and, and see, here's what happens when we say no to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the spirit. You know what it means? It means that you're putting out, trying to dampen, trying to throw water on the, the flame of the Holy Spirit of God. God. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit of God is likened unto fire. So, so when he says quench the Holy Spirit, what it is, is the idea that you're trying to take water and dumping it on the Holy Spirit to try to dampen the Holy Spirit, to try to keep him down, try to... You cannot do that. You can try, and the reality is is that in our life we can, in a very real way, quench the Spirit of God. But it's, it's not that we're somehow changing God. It's that the view, our view of God is changing. And we're, we're, we're quenching our understanding. We're quenching the work of God in our life. And, and so what's going on in, in Gideon? What's going on in, in the people of God? They're quenching God. By saying no. No. See, see, here's the thing. Are you willing to put aside everything that you've been taught or told about the Holy Spirit in order to search the scripture for yourself, in order to get into the word of God like the Bereans and search the scripture and find out, is what this guy's saying actually in the word of God? Is what this guy's telling us, is what this person's telling us actually in the word of God or not? And am I willing, instead of letting a side of this issue be my guide, am I willing to let scripture, the word of God, be my guide? Be my guide. Instead of taking a side, what if the word of God directed my belief? So let's go back to Gideon, Judges chapter 6. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save you? We already read this. I'm weak. I'm the least. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is to you who speak with me. Gideon saying this to God. Show me a sign. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house, prepared a young goat, unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. Pour the broth over them. 
and he did so. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Man took all of that. Check out verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Well, welcome, Captain Obvious. Um, he perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And it is still there to this day. And I love it. So he says yes to God. And then God immediately gives him a task. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is, this is a pole with a snake, it's, it's just a, another idol that is beside it. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull, offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah. I love that. Then he shall... That you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants, did as his Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. He obeys. He obeys the Lord. He goes out and he does what the Lord has said. And here's the thing that we need to understand in this next verse to show this so clearly. When you say yes to the Lord, your enemy, Satan, is not going to like it. Not one bit. And he's going to show up in every possible way and go, you should have said no. You should have said no. You should have said no, Gideon. You should have said no. And when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Satan is going to come along and go, uh-uh, you should have said no. What were you thinking? What's interesting is, is, that, is that Gideon's dad stands up for him. Next verses we read that. And then, and then what happens in verse 33, all the Midianites and Amalekites and people of the east came together. They crossed the Jordan. They encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and all the Abrazites were called out to follow him. He sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they were, they were called out to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they all went up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, and here it is again, he's putting God to the test. I love God's patience here. I love God's grace here, God's mercy here. Again, Gideon puts God to the test. He says, if it's you, behold, I'm laying a piece of wool 
on the threshing floor, if there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry in the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by your hand as you've said. And it was so. And when he rose early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Hmm. And then he does it again. Gideon tests God again. And God's like, okay. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. That's a great statement. Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just one more with this fleece. But please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground around it let there be dew. And God said that night, or God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece and all the ground around there was dew. So God shows up again and he proves once again, listen, Gideon, I'm on your side, buddy. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm with you. My spirit is clothing you. You, you are, I've, you're, I'm on your side. I'm in your corner. And then what we end up happening, and what we end up seeing in chapter 7, is that this army comes against them. And, and 22,000 people from, from the people of God come out to fight with Gideon. And God's like, God again, he's like, oh boy, Gideon, hold on, buddy. You're saying yes, but I'm going to show you something. And, and he's like, 22,000, that's too many. So he tells him, anybody that's afraid, you can go ahead and go home. 12,000 people left him. 12,000. They're like, see ya, bye-bye. 12,000 people leave, 10,000 are left. The Lord says to Gideon, that's too many. Too many. Here, I want, you to, I want you to test them. Go down, have them go down, and, and those that lick the water and those that, you know, whatever you need to, you're going to sort them out that way. You know what's left? 300. 300 individuals to fight with Gideon. Oh, by the way, it's also God on, on their side. And, and just so you don't go, oh, well, the other army was so small. It was just a little army. Look at verse 12. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Check it out. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. We know later on a number is given, 120,000 soldiers. 300, 120,000. God's on this side. And, and what's amazing is, what God tells them is, hey, don't pick up a sword. Don't pick up any of it. I want, you to get a, I want you to get some pitchers of water. I want you to get some torches. And you're going to yell a lot. And, we're, and, and I'm going to beat them. And he does. Why did that happen? It happened because Gideon said yes. Gideon said yes. I wonder what could happen if you said yes. What if you said yes to the Holy Spirit? What, what if you said yes to what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do? I want to tell you a story about someone in our church who said yes. They said yes, and, and, and so I'm going to read it. It's from their hand. 
And, and uh, here, here's what she said. I was driving away from a meeting with a gal in Rock Falls when I drove past a house where this woman was sitting out on her porch basking in the sun. She did not look well. I felt the spirit tell me, go talk with her. Tell her I love her and it's going to be all right. I argued saying, Lord, she doesn't know me. She's going to think I'm crazy. I drove on past the house. The next block, I felt the Lord speak again, go tell her I love her. I went around the block saying, okay, Lord, if she's still there, (laughs) here's the test. If she's still there, I'll go. The moment I came at the house, I could not see her. So I thought, oh, good, I don't need to stop. But when I passed the house, I could see she was still out. She just had relocated on the porch. So with a heavy, pounding heart, I drove back and stopped to talk to her. I had no idea who she was. I simply said, hi there. This may sound a little crazy, but the Lord wanted me to tell you that he loves you and it's going to be all right. Did you know that Jesus loves you and he died for your sins so he could forgive you and take you to heaven? Do you believe that? She said, Yes, I do believe that. I asked if I could pray with her and then headed out. I'm not going to make it through the rest of the story, but I need you to hear the rest of the story. And like Paul Harvey, here's the rest of the story. It was probably two, three years after this event, and I had no idea this event had happened. Many of you know Rich Wessels. I got invited over to his house for breakfast. I went over, just him and I. He's cooking breakfast for me, and I'm like, has this always been your house? He's like, yeah. And he had told me about his wife and what had happened with her. She just a couple, I think just a few days after this person met with her, went, went, she passed away. And, and, I, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm hearing him, again, tell me about what was going on with his wife. And I remember him saying to me, I only wish, the only thing I wish is that I knew she knew Jesus as her Savior. And then all of a sudden, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit remind me of this story. And I'm like, Rich, this house... There was a lady in our church who was driving by and she saw your wife sitting out on the porch. And she she was wrestling with should I obey or should I not and she did and she went up and she said something to that lady and she asked her if she believed in Jesus as her savior and the lady confirmed, yes, I believe in Jesus as my savior. I said, Rich, that was your wife. And he just started we both just started bawling our eyes out because it was like, I mean, all of a sudden he was like, oh, my, I can't believe it. I'm going to see her again. Why did that happen? It happened because a lady in our church said yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in her life. Was it crazy? Yeah. Can you imagine just walking up to somebody on their front porch and be like, hey, Jesus loves you. That's weird. But she did it. She did it. And, 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 and my friend 
was assured of the fact, yes, my wife knew Jesus. I didn't even get to talk to her again after that day because she, her health declined so quickly. It's like, wow. What can, what can God do in and through you if you're willing to say yes to the Holy Spirit of God? I, I want you to, to be familiar with this verse, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I, I realize we're going over, but oh well, when, when don't I? Uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Look at this. According to the power. What's that referring to? The Holy Spirit. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can I just ask you a closing question? Are you willing to say yes to the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to say yes? I'm going to ask you if you would, just close your eyes, bow your head. What is God speaking to you about today? What is he telling you you need to do? What is he prompting you to do? Are you willing to say yes? In just a moment, there's going to be some people down here at the front and some at the back. Why are we here? We're here to pray with you. We're here just to try to encourage you, not judge you, not throw guilt on you or shame on you or any of those kinds of things. We're just here to pray with you. And, uh, and that's why we're up here. Some of us will be up here, some at the back. But maybe you're feeling prompted from God and, and, and through his Holy Spirit that, that, that you should turn and pray with somebody on, your, on your one side or the other, or in front of you or behind you. I, I don't know. I don't know, but God knows, and he, he's prompting your heart even now. So are you willing to obey? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I will. I'll do what you want me to do. And so as, as we sing this last song, and, and uh, again, some folks up here, some at the back, um, want to encourage you to uh, just do whatever it is the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Maybe you're here, you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you that's first step? Number one, put your faith and trust in Jesus. You will not have the Holy Spirit of God in your soul. You will not be a temple of the Holy Spirit without Christ. Christ is the key. Are you willing to let him? Are you willing to let him in? Say yes, I believe. Let's stand. Let's sing this closing song.